Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of the Archives and Special Collections at the UAA APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. Hi, this is Gwen. And in this episode, I will be interviewing Becky Butler, an archivist at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Uh, First things first, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Becky Butler, and I'm an assistant archivist up at UAF. So what types of things do you guys have there? We have quite a bit. So our collection mission is to find things that document the history of Alaska and the polar regions. That's a huge area. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, there are a lot of other archives in Alaska, as you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we tend to focus more on the northern regions. I'd say we have quite a bit of materials uh, from political figures like Greening and Bartlett and Diamond. Mm -hmm. Also from ethnographers and archaeologists that work with UEF in its early days. Some of my favorite collections are from uh, soldiers who visited Alaska in World War II, Mm -hmm. and then also prospectors that came up right around the turn of the century. We also have a fair amount of Alaska Native materials, and we work pretty closely with the Alaska Native Language Archive. That's Um, great. Yeah, so quite a few things up there. (laughs) Those materials sound really awesome. Um, What are your most used collections? Probably the political collections. Um, okay. We have quite a few researchers who are going back through, like Diamond. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have quite a few research papers that are going on using his materials. Oh, interesting. We have a researcher coming up from Puerto Rico. I'm very excited oh, about that. Wow. Um, Ernest Greening, he, before he came to Alaska, he a lot of his political work started in the islands and uh, territories owned by the U.S. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I'm very excited to host uh, that researcher this summer. Um, he actually had to get a research grant, and it was a whole big thing. So the wow. fact that it, the trip is coming together is very exciting to me. That's so exciting. Um, um, and then probably uh, collections like Otto Geist, who is an archaeologist mm-hmm. at UAF, that also gets a lot yeah. of use. Um, we have a documentary-making class that happens in the summers at UAF, um, and they love to keep coming back to Geist just to see. <laughs> There's this legend that mammoth tusks are buried on campus somewhere at UAF, that Geist hid them to test some new treatment um, method, (laughs) and so everybody thinks, oh, we're going to save the university, we'll dig up these mammoth tusks. So um, that one gets a lot of repeated use. And then just day to day, we have a lot of image requests from publishers and production Mm -hmm. companies who are doing Alaska-themed things, so. You kind of covered this a little bit, but um, kind of what types of users, is it mostly academic researchers or do you get people in other fields as well? Yeah, it is mostly academic researchers, historians. Um, We occasionally will get someone in more science fields. We had Mm -hmm. some people come from Finland who are doing research on um, reindeer herding. Oh, that's cool. Um, I think the people that are the most fun to talk to, they are the most time consuming, but they are the most fun to engage with are the genealogists. especially the ones who have done a little bit of background work mm-hmm. before they come to the archives, um, yeah. just because they are so passionate about what they want to do. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. And I love when you, you like they spent hours going through all these photos that, you know, I don't know if there's anything in there for them. And then all of a sudden, like, that's my grandmother. <laughs> um, 
So that's definitely a smaller portion of our users, but um, I think they're some of the most rewarding. <laughs> yeah. So what is your background? Um, how did you kind of get into archives and being an archivist? <laughs> I blame a wonderful professor in my freshman year of college. I was all set to be a vet. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I started off going to Washington State, um, and I was in the Honors College, and there was a wonderful professor there, Jesse Sponholz, who's actually from Alaska, mm-hmm. um, and he taught a really excellent course in research methodology, and he took us down into the archives, and they had set up like all a bunch of rare books and some documents, um, and he said, so pick one. That will be the basis of your research project for this semester. Oh, cool. So I found this, uh, it was a broadside published by a midwife in the 16th century in England. Oh, wow. She was accused of being Catholic, and she was. Um, <laughs> and, and this was at a time where that was a really big, bad thing. Um, there was also some aspersions that she was a witch, that she was trying to kill the king. Like, Oh, wow. There were, <laughs> and, and, so, and so I was able to also find online transcripts of her trial so not only did I have her written word but then I also had like what she actually said oh, in defense so cool. of herself um, and I, I'd never worked so hard on a research project before <laughs> Jesse met with me when I like called him and saying I don't I don't I've done all my research and I don't know what I'm saying anymore um, so that experience sort of always stuck in the back of my mind mm-hmm. and then I ended up switching colleges I switched majors I graduated undergrad with the degree in international studies, mm-hmm. a nice vague liberal arts degree. Mm-hmm. That was one of my majors. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. You could like you could dip into all sorts of different yep. fields. And that's sort of when I started to suspect like, hmm, libraries, you could there's like so many different ways you can take that. Like mm-hmm. that was really appealing to me. And I liked the public service aspect. I was it was sort of down to law school or um, Oh my gosh, same. Really? That's <laughs> yeah. so funny. <laughs> I think it's just because they're like it's so it can be so public focused working mm-hmm. in a library, yeah. Um, and that's what I wanted. So I ended up I got my degree entirely online through Simmons College mm-hmm. in Boston, and it was great. They set up internships for me here in Anchorage, um, here at UAA, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a really great experience. So yeah, we loved having you. Yeah, and I was really really fortunate to find a job in state mm-hmm. in my field. So, um, so how was Doing the online program, do you think, versus, you know, doing it in person? That is such a good question because some people you meet are very dismissive mm-hmm. of that style of education. I've been doing it since middle school. Oh, um, wow. It is what you make it. Um, I think you definitely have to be a more on top of um, how you're engaging with the class. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular course was mostly forum-based, so we it was asynchronous. We never met live, yeah. um, unless we had group projects, and then I always tried to arrange a call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a couple professors who would call me just to have that personal connection. Um, but the upside is I got to have classes with people who are all over the world. So it oh, really, really broadened cool. like, the, the perspectives I heard from, mm-hmm. um, and it enabled me to keep working while I was going through school. Um, I think certain professors have embraced the format better than others. (laughs) You can tell like who has just copied their PowerPoint, put it online, um, and who is actually learning about how to engage with students online. Um, So I think while for some people it would be very easy to just blow off Mm -hmm. all the reading and fumble through the forums, 
I think it would be very obvious as soon as you tried to get a job, like, you don't have the skills required yeah. <laughs> to do this job. And the fact that, you know, internships were a component of my master's, I think that really helped um, mm-hmm. engage yes. what I was learning. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved online. It's not for everyone. Um, but I think as we're developing the technology, it's more and more accessible. So I think more and more people will be doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Um, I know my program was primarily in person, mm-hmm. but I did take a few online classes and it was actually for the most part a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, as much fun as living in Boston would have been. <laughs> <laughs> and they have so many cool libraries and archives that I yeah. visited, but I'm very glad that I was able to stay in Alaska and mm-hmm. since this is where I wanted to work, it yeah. was really nice to start start from that perspective rather than New England to back here. Yeah. <laughs> very different. <laughs> It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so as a new, relatively new graduate, um, what's something that you've experienced as a working professional that they didn't really prepare you for? Ooh, that's a toughie. So I feel like in archives we're a little spoiled because so many people that make it through the archives doors have a research plan and they have mm-hmm. real research questions and other new librarians I've talked to have been like I don't get to do like actual reference when I sit at the desk <laughs> so I've been very spoiled in that I do feel like I have very serious research requests coming to me and I'm yeah. taken seriously from day one so I'm trying to live up to that and do as much like <laughs> background research in Alaskan history um, just to keep up with my researchers <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah what do you like about being an archivist I love discovering all the hidden stories in archives. Um, You're not supposed to get so pulled into collections that you're processing and getting ready for other people to research, but I'm just, I'm a sucker for journals (laughs) and correspondence. Like, there's these whole lives that people have lived that maybe nobody has really appreciated. Like, maybe they're families. And if they're historical figures, they've definitely got their public side. Mm -hmm. But there's all these private things um, in there that really flesh out the, the humanity of the person. Yeah. Um, recently I was processing a collection of Constance Helmrichs. She moved up here with her husband in like the 1940s. Um, they were in Life magazine. They did books about living in the Arctic. They did TV specials, oh, lecture wow. tours. Um, and she had, she saved so many of her letters and I mm-hmm. picked up the story and I ended up following up with her family members because mm-hmm. I was so intrigued. Um, like her brother, her their father had married multiple different people, and one of the people he married was this showgirl who ended up going to Paris after they split up, and she brought her son with him, with her, and then just left him in Paris during oh, World wow. War One. So it's this twelve-year-old <laughs> kid just running around Paris as it's being invaded. So the father oh did goodness. end up going over and bringing him back. And so then there's this poor 12-year-old kid who only speaks French in New York, and he's getting into fights all the time, and his stepmother wrote that, like, we didn't know if he was going to be a cop or a robber, and they wrote that the father was very hard on him, but he grew up to be this private investigator in New York. He married a woman that everyone said was very gentle and kind, and he was very gentle and kind to her. And it's just this story of a person that almost doesn't seem real. Yeah. (laughs) But I loved, like, 
I shouldn't have spent as much time on it probably as I did, <laughs> but I just felt that much more connected to the collection mm-hmm. and better prepared to write about, you know, who Connie was based on who her family was. Um, yeah, yeah, I just loved that whole experience. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is one thing that you wish people knew about archives? Kind of how easy it is to get into them. Like, yeah, we have more rules than other like say the library Mm -hmm. and you may have to make an appointment but really like as long as you know what you want to see or even if you don't just talk to the archivist they're so accessible um I do wish we recently had to do move a bunch of our records around and we hired a moving crew to help with that and one of the moving crew members said like oh that's my grandfather oh wow I was like you should come in then yeah um and I think he felt like, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Like, no, you super can. Like, I am willing, like, we are willing to be flexible with scheduling. Like, I am mm-hmm. so eager for people to use the stuff we have, especially if, you know, you have that connection to it, that personal connection. Mm-hmm. Just talk to your archivist. <laughs> we'll make something happen. Yeah, we recently had a researcher who was the great-great-grandson of uh, one of the guys who's papers we have mm-hmm. and um he was up here um just temporarily and we were able to you know accommodate his because he was up here for work so mm-hmm. he couldn't really just take time to come in and right. and look and um we were able to accommodate his schedule and it was it was really cool um that's awesome yeah that's such a good service to be able to provide people that's sort of why we exist I I believe anyway (laughs) yeah how do you think that you break sort of the stereotypes about archivists like on the personal level I'm not very good like I do love me a cardigan and cats but (laughs) 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 but I do think that I'm part of like a younger cohort Mm -hmm. I would include you in that too um, and that's sort of fun to be part of uh, the, the next generation of archivists where um, I don't feel like the older generation has really committed to that idea that we're gatekeepers or anything. Mm-hmm. But since you and I were raised with social media and that like so many more ways of easily engaging with the public. Yeah. I think that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something that we try to do is to utilize all of the... Um, technology available to us to try mm-hmm. to reach out to to people yes and it's really rewarding when you know we have somebody contacting us on social media like oh like this is Yay. my this was my grandmother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that in the photo that you posted or something yeah yeah and that's so great um it just, it sort of, it bothers me now when I watch things like, okay, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where they have these special collections and nobody's allowed to touch them yeah. and everyone kind of looks at them funny when somebody walks in and I feel like that's totally an idea we can really work to break down now because we have so many tools at our disposal that younger people were just sort of raised using. So <laughs> we have all these advantages. I think that's awesome. Yeah. How do you think being an archivist in Alaska is different than maybe being an archivist um, somewhere else. Okay, I want to word this carefully. Um, So many of our written materials are relatively new. Um, So many records that we keep are from, you know, like Russian occupation. Um, 
at UAF we do have a lot of rare books and maps from before mm-hmm. when Alaska was sort of an unknown territory that people were exploring. And obviously Alaska Native peoples have been here for much longer than that. Um, and part of the challenge archives in Alaska need to face is how to embrace those perspectives if it's not in written form. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, so many of the written materials are from like the past two centuries. Yeah. And that's a different, that's so, totally different than when you go to archives in, say, Boston, where they're going back much, much further, mm-hmm. <laughs> or Europe. That's, I love following um, the Royal Irish Library. It's so great that I need to look up that name. But it's something like, <laughs> it's R I A. Um, and it's just baffling to me how ancient some of their manuscripts are. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, you. I feel like you can have a more immediate connection with some of the records here in Alaska because they are so much newer than mm-hmm. others and it's mediums we're more familiar with. Um, but like even the films, are the old films aren't that old. It's, it's really a unique experience. Yeah, people, when they come in, they're always like, oh, you have old stuff. And it's like, well... You know, depends on how you define old. Right, it's all relative. Like, you know, someone who's you know maybe in their fifties or sixties is like, do you consider yourself old? Because <laughs> a lot of the materials that we have are like, you know, from the nineteen fifties when right. Alaska was you know just on the verge of becoming a state, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, that's important too. And right. also, we're collecting things that are created being created right now right because especially with you know things being created digitally they might be gone you know right you delete them off of your computer and then it's it's just gone you so. have to be forward thinking when thinking about the past so mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta document the present <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, and even the Rasmussen Library has on display right now a cuneiform tablet that they oh, found wow. in their collection. So that's probably Whoa. the oldest thing we have that's <laughs> from whatever BC, and it's it's just a receipt about like a barley transaction. We, oh, ha- we had someone come in and translate it, but that's probably our oldest thing. It, it's definitely an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so funny because you know, with receipts now, it's like, oh, you know, toss it. this person's receipt from Fred Meyer, maybe we're not going to keep that. <laughs> yep, but. yep. <laughs> but if it's on a cuneiform tablet, you know, hang on to that bad boy. I'm sure someone was really hopeful that it had, like, some really secret thing from the past, and they brought it home. Like, oh, it's a barley receipt. <laughs> yeah, just, like, even, you know, things have that sort of air of importance when they're going back that far because there's so much less of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I meant to, speaking of which, I meant to talk about my favorite collection oh, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only from 1906, but it documents something that is so unique. Um, it is from the Fabian Carey Red Light District photographs. Oh. And it's of prostitutes in the Red Light District in early Fairbanks. Oh, that's um, really interesting. Now, Alaska, interest, we do have a fair number of pictures of women in that profession, just mm-hmm. because of, you know, Judge Wickersham had an interest in all these things. Um, but I know in so many other places, the experience of those women is not documented. It was illegal. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting collection. Obviously, the girls are posed to look happy and healthy. Yeah. And it was the photos were taken by George Akimoto, who was a businessman in early Fairbanks, and he was looking for investors. Oh, yeah. Um, so was he trying to like attract 
people with to the... buy into I don't I think he was trying to build up buy up the buildings themselves. Okay. So like there were pictures of the madams, there were pictures of the girls themselves, there were even pictures of like some the men like they were in a dance hall, I think. Okay. Um so he was trying to capture the experience, like a obviously a cleaned up and glorified <laughs> image of what was happening there to try to uh, make a little money. But they're faces of girls you might not see otherwise. Yeah. And like it's a story that would be so easily overlooked. Um, mm-hmm. I remember in undergrad, I had this grand idea of capturing stories of prostitutes and during World War II, and my professor just sort of looked at me, "Where are you going to get those records? Like that's <laughs> not a, that's. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there somewhere if you it spoke French or German or <laughs> yeah. Um, so I love that we have this collection that is so readily accessible. Like it's not re- it's not a full story, mm-hmm. but it's a picture into what these women were living. Um, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We've had a number of people um, coming in to do research about prostitution mm-hmm. in Alaska. It's big in women's history. Mm-hmm. Um, Lael Morgan's book, what is it, Good Time Girls? Um, I feel like that really started yeah. something because <laughs> it's so engaging and she did such excellent, thorough mm-hmm. research. It really it sparks interest in like what sort of women came up here? To yeah. do this such hard work with such hard men. It's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my favorite collection. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds, it sounds really interesting. So what are some of the challenges um, you think are facing our profession right now? I mean, I think just about any archives anywhere will list budget as one of the top ones. Um, mm-hmm. It's, for some reason, archives have always been positioned as sort of the luxury service in a lot of libraries, yeah. I feel like. Um, I would totally agree. Yeah, rather than, no, this is, we are, we are housing the things that research, history books, like the social narrative that we create. We're the ones who preserve and provide access to that. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it can be harder for people who aren't familiar with archives to understand that. And so yeah. we're often one of the first library services to get cut. Um, and we're often also like just not very visible mm-hmm. um, because of the nature of the records. They have to be protected from UV light, water, whatever. So we're either in the basement or up high or so we're off, tucked off in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> and the materials themselves are typically behind a closed Right, door. you can't just walk in and um, start browsing like you might in a library. Yeah. Unless there are like <clears throat> exhibits up. And even right. then, um, people don't really realize the extent of the collections, how just how much information we actually have. Yeah, yeah. So I that's trying to break down that perception that we are precious little corners of the library that can be shut down whenever mm-hmm. needed. Uh, that's really, uh, that's a, the biggest challenge I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the questions that I wanted to ask you. Thank you for coming and being on the podcast. Thank and- you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. For next month's episode, Arlene will be interviewing Helen Woods, of the Alaska Resources Library and Information Services.